0: Morning, everybody. Oops, sorry. No, I'm 60 seconds behind. Good afternoon. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 5. For those of you I haven't met, my name is Stephen. I'm uh, actually on staff here, but you have to come, you know, like once a quarter to figure that out because I'm gone quite a bit. But it's great to be here this morning. I do need to warn you, I'm on serious, serious jet lag. So if I just kind of lay down halfway through the sermon here, you just join me. Uh, and the name of the Lord would all just nap together. I woke up at 3 in the morning, reached for some candy, turned on the TV. In about 15 minutes, I realized that I was up at 3 eating candy and watching You've Got Mail. Uh, so I went to bed as a 50-year-old man and woke up as a 16-year-old girl. I don't know what exactly, why I was watching a chick flick at, you know, 3 in the morning. But anyway, I'm here. I went to... Uh, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes, uh, out of a couple of experiences that I've had uh, here just, just recently, and I'll get to that scripture uh, in just a moment. Uh, I've just come back from the Middle East, which is why I'm a little jet lagged, and um, and I also have written a book on Mormons, which is just being released, and so I'm having a lot of conversations about Mormonism and so on. And I want to take those two uh, thought processes, two two thought processes, and show you something that may be. Lacking in, in, in our Christian experience, so let me let me explain what I'm talking about. I was in a Middle East country, and this country is trying to do some pretty cool things about broadening out who's in government. So they've got Muslims and they've got Christians and they've got Jews and they've got Yazidis, which is a kind of a Middle Eastern group that worships angels and so on. So they're trying to be broad. And so I was I was meeting with the different people in the what they call the Ministry of Religion. We don't have one of those, but they do. And within the Ministry of Religion, there's the Muslim department, there's the Christian department, you know, etc. So in this country. The, the Muslims, of course, you know, the mullahs and the staff and so on, the women have their heads covered, you know, and the mullahs are dressed in the, in the mullah uniform. And, and um, it's all, they all look very nice and very professional. I mean, we're not, you know, urging the, the burqa, the, the thing the women wear, but, but still, they look great. The Yazidis, same thing. Office run really well. Uh, women are d- dressed, you know, nicely. The men are dressed nicely, all that. When it comes to the Christian department... You have people who are former Muslims uh, who have become Christians. And in their understanding, uh, being a Christian means being freed from the rules. You know, that kind of, that phase you go through. We don't have to do that stuff anymore. So let's not do it on stun. You know, let's, let's really go crazy in not doing it. So while every other department, you know, whatever their religion is, they're looking good, they're nicely dressed... The Christians have gotten free. And so uh, the women, that staff, looks like they have fallen out of bed and thrown on somebody else's jeans. You know know what I'm saying? One woman had jeans and a Ringo Starr t-shirt on. Now, I'm in the Middle East. And so, you know, that was a little strange. We met with the minister. The, this is now a Christian guy who's the minister of the Christian department. He's not, a, he's not a clergyman per se, a pastor. He spends the first 45 minutes telling us how he gets whiskey into the country. Because apparently being Christian means, hey, you can drink in the name of Jesus. And so he tells us this because this is what it means. When he's a Muslim, he can't drink. Now he's a Christian. He can drink. He thinks this is what we want to know. How he sneaks whiskey into the Muslim country. Now, I'm being a little facetious, but do you, do you see that with these people, sweet as they are, what they have gotten stuck in is a version of freedom that's just free to be free rather than free towards anything, free to become anything. You, you, you follow what I mean? So the the, the department looks bad. The people look bad. Uh, I'm not talking about just style and clothing. That's not what we're preoccupied with. It just was in a general sloppy. Why? Because we're freed from all standards and requirements. You, 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 You know that kind of thinking. We have a little bit of that going on in some of our culture here. So I'll come back to that. Then over here, we have our, Muslim, uh, our, our Mormon friends, and, and, uh, and, and I'm not being in any way negative about our Mormon friends, uh, and I lectured at BYU and spent a lot of time with Mormons, of ladies you can imagine. Our Mormon friends believe that Jesus died on the cross to reintroduce people to God, but once they meet God, they have, to, they have a lot of things to do, a lot of duties, a lot of, a lot of works, a lot of rituals to undergo to be saved. So, so, so they're the opposite of our folks in the Middle East who have gotten saved. Folks in the Middle East are just free to be free, and they're just hanging out being free. You know what I mean? Our Mormon friends have got laws and works and rituals and duties, okay? The, the problem is that one of the former mayors of Salt Lake City uh, that I met with said that in Salt Lake City, and, and this, this, some of this may not be true, but this is what the prevailing thought is there. They have a higher prescription drug abuse rate higher subscription porn rate, um, more arrests for really weird kinds of sex, and, and, uh, and some other things. In other words, the, the fact that people can't fulfill those requirements becomes a pressure on their soul, and they look for some way to ease the pain. Do, do you see what you're dealing with? You're dealing with two wings, two extremes that some folks can go to. Keeping... Their faith only as a matter of principles and laws and a code of conduct and rules and standards over here, which you'll never be able to fulfill because that's we're just fallen people, or over here, being free just to be free and checking all standards out the window. And neither of these is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that the law is established or abolished, the message of the gospel is that the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not living in the law and we're not living like adolescents constantly talking about how free we are and, and not achieving things. And I don't mean to be negative about adolescents, but why not? I mean, why not just, just go ahead and just... I was one once. So my point is, We have a little bit of a problem, and it's a growing problem, uh, in the American church today. And and part of the reason is that that we are living at a time that the church worldwide, in the history of the Christian church, we sometimes have. We tend to go, have pendulum swings in the church, in the history of the church. Sometimes we're living in rules and regulations and law and codes of conduct. And sometimes the pendulum swings and we're focused on Jesus and a bit more about the things of the spirit and so on. Rarely does the church get the two together at the same time. When it does, it changes their generation. Why? Because Christianity is meant to be an intimate, transforming, powerful relationship with Jesus Christ That answers the cry of your heart. That fixes what's on the inside of you. That fills the inner hole in your life. And then, once you are consumed with love and passion for him, yes, there are changes you need to make. But the message of Christianity is not that the changes are the point. The point is the relationship. And many Christian leaders today in America are using a phrase that I hope you're familiar with. It is that American Christianity has become moralistic, therapeutic deism. We like big words. Moralistic, all about what's right and wrong. Therapeutic, you know what that means, all about getting you over your wounds. Thank the Lord, we want to do that, but it shouldn't be the center of our faith. And then the third thing is deism. You may remember this from your study of American history. The founding fathers, some of them, believed that God wound up the the, the world, set it in motion, and then went fishing or something until the end of time. He was busy. And so that's what many people say the American church is about now. Why why is that horrible? Because it's not about what the gospel of Jesus is about. And what we have done in much of the American church, don't hear me chewing you out, that's not what I'm trying to do today, but what we have done is we get people saved by telling them they can't measure up to God's requirements, they need the grace of Jesus. We get them in the church and we start loading them up with whole lists of things they gotta do, Right? Which becomes a new kind of law. It becomes a new kind of code of conduct. And thank God for principles of conduct and things that we should do. But they're meant to come after a relationship. Not as a replacement for the relationship with Jesus we're all meant to have. so, So I'm thankful that we have, for example, seminars on marriage. Okay? I'm thankful for that. And we learn how to be godly men or how to be godly women and what the principles of marriage are. But... But what we are not meant to do is have a checklist of things to do to be a godly man. Let me tell you. Let me help you men. I'll fast track you on this thing. What a woman wants is a man growing in the character and nature of Jesus Christ. That's what a woman wants. And I won't even go with what a man wants because I'm the guy preaching. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for somebody else. That's what they want. But, but what we've done in our relation and what we've done in our Christianity is what a lot of guys do. Uh, when it comes to their relationship with their wife. I was talking to a guy recently, and this is the, the absolute truth. This is what he said. He said, I watched hours of the 24 marathon. Remember the TV show, 24 with Jack Ryan and so on. He said, I watched hours of the 24 marathon because my wife wanted to. And then he said, surely I get some husband points for that. Husband points? What? I said, no, uh, you don't need husband points because she's going to take a pillow and snuff you out at 3 in the morning one morning. Husband points, have you lost your mind? You see what he's thinking? I've got a checklist. I'm going to do that checklist, and, and, and I will get some kind of recognition. Well, this becomes a tug of war for whose needs get met. Do you follow what I mean? This is not a relationship. This is a flight checklist to make sure that we can take off together. You understand what I mean? Now, listen. I'm not trying to impress you with anything. I am crazy about my wife. She'll be here this next week and be here with us for a few weeks. She's, I meet her in New York tomorrow. We finish up some business up there. I'm crazy about her, okay? I love her. Relationship, love it. Never knew it could be this great. Okay, I am always physically hot and sweaty. Come on, anybody else here with me? The world is run by people who are too, need it too hot everywhere buses, airplanes, you name it. I am, I need to be able to hang meat everywhere I go. I need things to be freezing around me. You understand what I mean? Couldn't stand the jacket five minutes into this sermon. My wife is what we call in the South cold-natured, okay? It means that the air conditioner doesn't have to be on most of the year. Now, before I married her, I would have beaten you up to take control of the thermostat. You, You know what I mean? I would... No, no, no. I'm standing at the thermostat with a baseball bat. It will be cold here. Then I fell crazy radically in love with Bev. Now, here I am. Baby, it's 94 in here, but I love it. This is awesome. Because I'm crazy about her. So you understand what happened? Changes in my behavior came because I am in love with someone. I'm passionate. I'm nutsy, right? Right? about being in love with this person. Change the air conditioning, whatever. Now, when I'm in a hotel room alone, frost sickles, man. I'm talking about if I wash anything out by hand and hang it in the restroom, the next morning you will have to break the ice on it to put it in the suitcase. I mean, but, but when I'm with her, no, no, no. Whatever changes have to happen, why? Because I'm in love with her. There's a relationship. Can you imagine our relationship if she said, listen here, buckaroo, it will be 90 in every room in your life from now on. See, it's quiet in here because some of you have had that conversation, right? <laughs> While I'm giving my opinions, this business of a car, having a left-hand side air conditioner and a right-hand side, that's a fantasy. Who thought, some man thought that up thinking he'd keep his wife quiet. Okay, I'm off that. So what I'm saying is when you have a relationship You don't need a code of conduct. You need to find out what pleases the person you're in love with. You need to find out what they desire to facilitate the relationship and for all things to be happy. But you do not want, men, if you're walking around with a checklist, you've got the wrong idea about what a marriage is, right? That's, but that, okay, so you understand my point. What we've done is we've removed the relationship side with Jesus. That's what God wanted. That's what he was anticipating throughout the Old Testament. That's what the New Testament describes. And for many, many Christians, we don't have the relationship, but we, we have literature and books. One of them's called Four Ways to Get Anything You Want from God. I'm not kidding. Can you imagine, can you imagine my friend Christopher Clark turning to his wife and saying, Tamer, I have four all-purpose Works all the time, ways to get anything I want from you. He's about to get beat to a pulp. He, I mean this, do, can you imagine a man relating to a woman that way? That, but that's how we're relating to God. How many seminars? How many books? Seven principles of this? Ten principles of that. How to do that? Now, I understand that that's built into the Word, but when we remove it from relationship, it just becomes another code. It just becomes another law. For example, I understand that there are principles of conduct in the Bible about prosperity. You've heard teachings like this on prosperity. You know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. But, hey, first of all, in Christianity, prosperity is a relationship with Jesus, It's not primarily about money or four things you ought to do or rub the magic lamp the right way or whatever, you know, that kind of. No, no, no. It's about knowing him. He changes you. He fills you. He redesigns your desires. He puts you on a new path. Now he can entrust you with the wealth that you need to have to get done what you need to get done in the world. You follow what I'm saying? It's a relationship first. It's not five all-purpose principles. And what's happened is that in our Christianity, we have essentially done one version or the other of what either our friends in the Middle East I was describing or our Mormon friends have done. We've made the conduct, the principles, the code, the rules, the, the, the regu- not, not so much the regulations. We don't think of them that way. But we've made uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the procedure, the thing, apart from having a relationship with Jesus, Listen to what what Jesus said in John 5. I asked you to turn there 20 minutes ago. I'm sure uh, that by now we're, we're all there. I'm sorry to have held you up. In John 5, and verse 38, it says this. You study the scriptures diligently. He's talking to the Pharisees. You guys are awesome. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And then Jesus says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. These scriptures are about me, but you won't, it says, come to me. You refuse to come to me to have life. Do you see what they're doing? They're going to the Word. They're getting a code of conduct, but they don't have a relationship with the author of the word with the author of life with with the one who has made all of it worth having and so let me tell you what's happening in the church we we, we don't send, have the power that we need because power doesn't come from principles power comes from intimacy with jesus power comes from knowing god you remember the scripture i probably preached it here a dozen times i love it acts 19 i love these idiot sons of a high priest in acts 19 they've seen paul casting out demons they want to do the same thing what do they do in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. So, so the demon looks back and says, Now Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? And beats them up, strips them, and sends them out naked. Now for Jewish men at that time, that's like the ultimate shame. What happened? They're, they're, they're trying to minister in the name of a secondhand hand Jesus. And, and if we don't know him... That's what we're doing. We're preaching the the, the Jesus of Billy Graham or the Jesus of the latest Christian book or the Jesus of Pastor Brett. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's a true image. It's a secondhand image. You follow what I mean? And so we lack the power. I'll tell you the second thing, too, is that in the Word, it's almost sensual. The the way the Bible describes God satisfying our souls. You, You remember this in the Scriptures? He answers our souls. He meets the need of our souls. He, he fills me. David said, you know, David said all kinds of things in Hebrew we don't quite see in English. He possesses my inmost being. He, he warms over me is one Hebrew phrase. Isn't that great? In the Hebrew, he warms over my insides. He, he, he's my consuming passion. He dwells within me. My soul longs for him in the night. If you're married, I hope you're living Song of Solomon out in every possible way. Hold up, Chris. I know you don't go anywhere with that. I can just feel, I can feel the ministry pressure on that particular one. But, but, but you need to know, first of all, that Song of Solomon is not primarily, I mean, thank God for all of that. But it's primarily about the bride and the bridegroom. It's primarily about Jesus and us. He wants to answer our souls. And an unfulfilled soul is a stronghold about to happen. And I think it's why we have the addictions we have in the church. I think it's why we seem powerless. I mean, the statistics are almost the same for the world as, as they are for the church in terms of some of these things, the addictions and porn problems and so on. We should have power to break that stuff because, not just because we have an external power, but our souls are answered in other ways. He is, he is what we were made for. He's what we're about. It's what, it's what our souls are made for. We're meant to have a, a relationship with him. And, and then i got to tell you, we, we, when I look at American Christianity, what I see is a lot of people trying to rearrange the externals to satisfy the internal. you got people who are all off on one theological jig or another. They think being, believing Jesus is coming back tomorrow, going to make them happy. No, Jesus is coming back in about 50 years. No, he's coming back to Jackson County, Missouri. No, he's coming back to Jerusalem. No, 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 I'm a Calvinist. No, I'm a partial Calvinist. I'm a two-point Calvinist. No, I'm an Arminian This is like a woman I know who, whenever she's not feeling good, rearranges the furniture in her house, expecting to be different. All she does is realize when she's done, she needs more furniture. So that rearranging of the externals is not going to make any any difference. We need to come home to what some of you older saints remember the church was about. I'm not criticizing this church in any way. You know that. But the church in America has got to come home to what some of you older saints remember was the deal. It was about knowing him. It was about being passionate for him. People lifted their hands in worship and wept because a God had entered their lives and broken their addictions and their hassles and transformed them. And now they didn't care what you thought. They were going to dance and raise their hands hands and weep because they had a relationship with somebody what about performance it wasn't about a performance and if we're going to be all about the rules and the code of conduct conduct and the principles of this and the six ways of doing this and the seven ways of doing that let me tell you the cults are gonna whoop us because they do that better than we do mormons are growing faster than evangelical christians in this country you, can, you cannot do drugs. You cannot drink alcohol. You cannot drink a Diet Coke if you're an Orthodox uh, Mormon. They got, better, they got more rules. They're better at managing them. They're better at forcing them. Our message is not come to a new set of rules. Our message is come to the one who fulfilled all rules and wants to have a relationship with you. We've got to remember that. And the, the other the, the thing is it's not just about us either. I want, to, I want to give back to God what he wants. And when I read the Old Testament, I've said, I think I've said this before. When I read the Old Testament, I see a God who is not from chapter to chapter and book to book. He's not saying, you know what, they're going to have new rules one day. They're gonna have a whole new set of rules. When they get to that New Testament thing, Jesus, my son's gonna give the Messiah's gonna give them a whole new bunch of rules. It's gonna be awesome. No, he says they're gonna know me. They're gonna know me. My law is gonna be written on their hearts. Spirit's gonna be inside of them. A man's not gonna say to his brother, "Know the Lord." They're all gonna know me. It's gonna be awesome. Read Jeremiah seventeen times. They're gonna know me. It's gonna be awesome. You know, it's like a I've, I've been in the home of some of my friends who are grandparents when the grandkids are coming over. I might as well be the potted plant in the corner of the room. They're coming. Here they go. They're coming. Here we go. Get out of the way. Here we go. Okay, here we go. We're coming. You know, you just stand over there. Or leave. What are you doing here? My grandkids are coming. I mean, it's just like, oh boy, here they come. Here they come, you know. And that's God throughout the Old Testament. They're going to know me. going to have a relationship. I lost something in the garden, but it's going to come back. That's the message of Christianity. Not a bunch of rules. So St. Augustine, you know, one of, my, one of my favorite quotes, said it well. Lord, you have formed us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And much of the Christian church is restless and unhappy and churning. And let's repaint the room. Maybe that will make us feel better. Let's rearrange the furniture. Let's get us a new pastor. Let's fire some folk, hire some folk. Maybe if we change our doctrine. You know, you understand what I'm saying. We're always rearranging. No, it's about the inner. It's about the heart. It's about the connection with Jesus. It's about us lifting our hands and God enthroning himself on the praises of his people and having a connection of faith, If you are living a Christianity that is about having a new set of rules every time you come to, come to, come to church, we give you five or six more principles, that's how you're processing it, it's going to play out. It's going to give out. It's going to come to an end. We human beings can only hang on to a code of conduct for so long. That's why we needed Jesus in the first place, because every human code of conduct we failed at. We failed at I got to laughing at myself the other day. I fly a lot, and the, the flight attendants on the plane were given the giving the you know the were chewing us out, really, is what they were. know. I'm just I'm just but they were telling us what we needed to do. And I realized I don't do most of it. I mean, I mean don't look at me like I'm a criminal. You know, I, I've i finished flights that didn't have my seat belt on, you know what I'm saying? I don't I've got too much under the seat or whatever. And I thought and I got to laughing at myself, I can't even fulfill the code of conduct of Delta stinking airlines. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Much less the Lord God on high, right? I need Jesus. <laughs> what I need is a fly, is an airline Jesus too, but I'm probably not going to get one, but I desperately need Jesus. All right. A couple, few more things. Now, the dumbest thing I could do is in this talk by giving you a list of things to do because I just got all mad about lists, right? What is it you do if you want to be closer to your spouse or closer to whoever you want to be closer to? You seek them out. You find them. You go to them. That's relational, right? If I give you five, okay, now here's what you need to do go home, memorize these six scriptures. Do it in four versions. Hold your tongue just right. Do it at four in the morning. You know what I mean? That's the kind of stuff we've gotten into. But that's not relational language. What do you do if you want to know somebody human? You seek them out. Go, even verily, unto them, right? That's what we've lost. I'm going to tell a story I've told before because it's my favorite story, uh, by the way, and it illustrates this point. Some of you will have heard it before, but for those of you who haven't, you must be brought into this glorious experience. I, have, I used to have a daughter. She's now this tall. She was this tall, very cute, and we would play hide-and-seek all the time. It was her favorite thing to do in the whole world world. And I loved it for, you know, like the first two or three times, but she was so bad at it. She just the worst hide and seek player in the world. Okay? Because I'm 6'4. I haven't been under 250 pounds since, you know, like the Eisenhower administration. And and so my daughter, having not had a class in physics, could not figure out that I can't be under the dog. You know, I can't I can't be in mom's shoe. I you know, I don't know why she didn't understand this. I can't be in the silverware drawer. So there's only one place in the whole house. We live in a small house at that time. Only one place I can be a man of my size is in the closet. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, what? You know, get here, you know. <laughs> here she is at three or four, you know, and you can hear the silverware drawer rattling. Oh, Lord Jesus. And then, you know, in the closet, you can hear the shoe boxes opening. I'm like, I'm going to be here the rest of my life. So, so I, I start doing what a father should do. I start making moves towards her. I start coming towards her. I make noise. I drop stuff. I hit stuff. I'm going, please let this be over. So finally, sometimes I'm watching her. Her eyes get big. Dad's here. You know? She starts waddling over. And finally, I mean, when I'm almost standing on top of her, she finds me, right? Well, and then when Mom comes home, she reports excitedly, I found Dad. Look what I found. I found this guy. Well, in Jeremiah 29, there's a passage that says, if you will seek... What it does not say is that if you will seek, you will find him. Because you could seek for God, you know, in our little sinful ways, our little small limited ways. We seek for God and never find him unless he wants to be found, right? You can't, you can't seek the moon. You can't seek stuff that's outside of your range. So the, the Hebrew says there in Jeremiah 29, it's, it's why it reads so funky in your Bibles. It doesn't say seek him and you'll find him. It says seek him and he will be found of you. Now, why did they go all Yoda on us on that verse and get weird? Because the Hebrew says, you do the seeking, he'll make sure he positions himself that he can be found. That's why it's kind of a tongue twister. It's not as simple as, seek him and you'll find him. That'd be easy. No. You seek, he'll come out of the closet, come start coming your way, he'll rattle some dishes, he'll make some noise. You'll find him because he wants to be found. He loves you that much. Right? Okay. Then... We don't need a whole system of works because he's eager to reveal himself. In fact, in Ephesians 1.17, Paul teaches us to pray, Lord, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so I can know Jesus better. You cannot just see Jesus and know him. He's got to to unopen your eyes. How many times do we see that in the Gospels? And their eyes were opened and they saw. I mean, I can't see. I can't find him. I'm blind. He will be the initiator. He will pursue you, you, you follow what I'm saying? Sometimes, I'm, I'm picking on her because she's not here, but she won't, she won't mind me saying this. Every so often, my wife will position herself like on the other side of town and say, come get me. She just needs for me to go and expend my energy and time to go get her. Everybody needs to be rescued or sought or be thought valuable at some point. Men, too. Don't look at me like that, men. You got that feminine thing, too, okay? So, And, and that's, that's how it is. Jesus will seek us and then finally this and then I'm done don't settle some of you got saved like I did you got saved on a message of knowing Jesus you got saved on a message that he loves us and cares for us there's a God who knows who you are and wants to hang out with you you got saved on the idea that there that that there's something radical and other and 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 that, that he wants to know you and then we got in the church certain kinds of churches read certain kinds of books and we got busy didn't we it was all good stuff. You know, we did Sunday schools and buildings. and All this great. But it was never intended to be primary. It was never intended to be without relationship. Build this new building. Where's the picture? Build this new building in harmony with Jesus and the flow of his spirit and to the glory of God. Awesome. Build it apart from all that. You got more drudgery. You know what I'm saying? You, me come to your house for dinner and, and basically you got to love me. And you haven't been, you aren't in, in, in a place of intimacy and flow and r- the resources of your soul from Jesus. Trying to love, I mean, trying to love another human being in the, in the natural, and the flesh without the, the agape love of God in your soul. Just, just shoot me now. I mean, I can't, I can't, I man, can't manufacture those feelings. You know, what do I do? I hug you five times a night. I mean, what do we do? How do you make it happen? If the, if, if the grace and the love of God is not shut abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you see what I mean? We're trying to do things by principle and habit and duty that maybe some of it can be done that way. A little bit, it'll never be accomplished and we'll burn out in the process. He loves us. And he loves us enough not to leave us in a kind of Christianity that is code and ethics and principles and and maxims of conduct only. All of those things are true, but only. And I want to put this right, kind of the cross here is right on us a little bit. Some of us in this room, some of you, have never made that first step towards Jesus. Maybe you came today, you're, you're, you're with a friend, somebody brought you, awesome. And, and, and maybe, you know, the Lord has you here today because some crazy guy's going to get up here and say, hey, 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 it's not about the rules. Jesus loves you wants to have a relationship with you. Awesome. If you've never made the first step into that relationship, there's going to be some people down here in the front to pray with you. Whatever you share with them is confidential, and they're going to know how to lead you to Jesus and have some other resources for you. The majority of the folks in this room, they'll have been Christians for a long time, and you are perhaps more in peril. He's been doing it for so long, and maybe we have to be reminded, you know what? We're meant to get up in the morning. All that stuff in the Psalms, all that stuff David says, my soul pants for you. Hunger to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want, I want you to answer the hunger of my heart. You know what I mean? I, I want you to, I want you to I, I, I want to be eager for you. I want to be excited about having two hours in the car alone because I can hang out with Jesus. You know what I mean? And I want my marriage to be uh, the two of us having an intimate relationship with Jesus and kind of merging it together so we're, we're, we're having a relationship together w- with the Lord. You, you follow what I mean. That's what's meant to be at the center. If not, what's coming is burnout, frustration, and probably some kind of weird deviation of Christianity while we're trying to figure out what we can add to the faith. To answer the cry of our souls because we lack a relationship. May the Lord give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Him better. May the Lord give you a heart to seek Him and know Him. May the Lord restore the right order to your life in Christ. It's not duty first, it's relationship first, and then the duties are a joy. And may the Lord stir your heart so you never settle for a kind of Christianity that is less than an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Bless you.